welcome one and all to the brand new OUG Talks. Now, this is going to be just a standard podcast format where I will come on for the first couple of minutes just saying, Hi, what are you doing? How are you? And then we'll cut off and then we'll have an interview or a chat or just random banter with basically anyone. Um, from the other podcasts I've done, I've interviewed people from Hollywood stars, from like Z Nation, all the way down to like John Hare and indie developers, small developers, big developers. So this is the first episode of OUG Talks. And on this episode, we've got a great guest and someone who's gone back to one of his original games. And that game is Dino Eggs Rebirth. Uh, the original Dino Eggs came out in 1983. And so the first chat interview sort of thing we have this week is with David Schroeder. So thank you and we'll just go straight into it. here with the one up gaming podcast we've got a special interview with i'm probably going to get it wrong but david schroeder that sounds wonderful thank you <laughs> yeah i mean i'm really bad with because i i don't know about if you know but nowadays whenever we get like games in for review they're all like polish or swedish or like, development teams now and it's like and we've got just some random letters and <laughs> symbols. So, but anyway, so David, I hear you've been a developer for a long time. Well, I, I got into uh, computer games before anyone knew really what the heck a computer game was or was supposed to be. I graduated from Yale University in, in 77, and I took one computer course at Yale while I was there in like about 1976. And I did not major in computer science or I just took that one computer course. I got the worst grade in that course than I've ever gotten in any of my classes anytime in school. I think I got a D. And so I had no idea that only about four or five years after graduating in like 1981, uh, I would begin to think about learning to program computers um, because uh, that was about the time when the first wave of uh, coin-operated games were showing up in taverns and uh, um, uh, uh, 7-Elevens. In the United States, 7-Eleven is like a corner grocery store that often had a computer uh, coin-op game in the corner. And Pac-Man was coming out then, Lunar Lander, Missile Command, Battle Zone, Defender, and just week by week, I, my eyes were just popping looking at these um, games that were defining what these interactive experiences could be. And nobody knew what these were. Nobody knew how to categorize them. Nobody knew 
what this kind of experience was going to grow into. People said games, but uh, each of these games that I mentioned, Missile Command, Battlezone, did something profoundly new and different. I remember when I first saw Defender, which is the classic coin-operated game where your spaceship is scrolling horizontally across the screen and more screen and background just keeps showing up to the side of the screen as the spaceship you know travels from left to right on the you know in this virtual space well no one had seen anything like that before and you saw this scrolling landscape and you thought could that go on forever where is that coming from how big is it you know is it a mile long is it an infinity long so each new game was figuring out the controller that the user would use this trackball for missile command or the joystick for pac-man and now we kind of know where that was going to go but back then it was just amazingly inspirational and new and for me donkey kong was a huge step in that development because that was the game where you saw a character and you empathized with that human figure. And to me, that was a huge step forward that really inspired me to say, could I do this? I really want to try to do something like this. And so I, I started uh, going to a local uh, community college in the Seattle area and eventually taught myself machine language to write my own uh, computer games back 82 with my first game, Crisis Mountain, and then Dino Eggs, uh, my second game in 1983. So, I mean, when you were sort of saying about um, Defender, if any modern-day gamers are interested in what that was sort of like, imagine Resogun for the PlayStation 4. That's basically <laughs> a modern remake of Defender, and it still plays amazingly well, you know, so... But yeah, those early concepts are still being used uh, early. You know, now the word platformer has is a whole genre of game. But, you know, Donkey Kong wasn't called a platformer because it was one of a kind. Uh, nobody knew before that what that would mean to have a human figure interacting with a a a vertical landscape of things to climb on or to jump among. Again, now we just, of course, how could you do it any differently? But that was new then. And the idea that you could hurt yourself or empathize with his character, what was success, what kind of troubles would this character have, the concept of injury, the concept of recovery from injury, you know, all power-ups, all, and that word wasn't used back then either because, you know, this concept of adding value to your life, it all came from pinball, really. The early computer games were just sort of taking the game structure from pinball because after all that's what was in the taverns before the new machines showed up they were pinball machines so the concept of three lives and you're out comes from pinball the concept of getting an extra life comes from getting an extra ball in pinball the idea of a high score and what you need to do to get the high score comes from pinball so that's the starting point and everything has evolved from then yeah, um, I mean, in the UK, we didn't really have a, a pinball sort of scene. Mm. And, I mean, something that, frankly, shocks a lot of the American people that we talk to, um, the NES, the actual Nintendo Entertainment System, that only sold, like, 4 million units in its lifetime total in the UK. 
whereas the Sega mm. Master System sold about 12 million units. Yeah. So Sega massively outsold Nintendo in the UK, but in America, I think the Nintendo, the original NES had about a 99% domination in America. Well, it, it went, it was big pendulum swings. There were all, and, and, and this is kind of falls into the category of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because it, it's still the case where you have these big, slow pendulum swings between different brands of console, game consoles, but also big pendulum swings between whether people prefer to play computer games on a home computer or on one of the consoles. And that pendulum has swung back and forth several times, too. Uh, in the early days, you know, I wrote my early games when the home computers were ascendant because there wasn't an option of the separate uh console system but then the atari 2500 came in the nintendo as you say the original nes and that pendulum swung over to the consoles but it would swing back just a few years later and the amiga computer we mentioned before you started uh, broadcasting that was a big part of that swing back to the home computer side because there were things the amiga could do that the atari 2500 and the nes couldn't so all these swings back and forth, up and down, and people trying, particularly the folks in business, trying to guess what the next ascendant system or, or technology would be. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right, and so I guess we'll go to 1983 and Dino Eggs. How many people was on the original team? This is the original <laughs> release of Dino Eggs. Uh, when the uh, this art came in, um, the publisher said he was a little disturbed. He thought that superhero there in the pink pink pajamas looked. I think he thought he looked uh, looked a little too feminine, a little too uh, not certain about the uh, gender identity of that uh, character there. So he was a bit disturbed. And then we came up with another piece of art later on that was a little more comical. But uh, the development team was one. Uh, those were the days. Uh, when a person like me could sit in the garage or in the basement uh, or in his office and literally write every bit and every bite. And that was part of the amazing time. Uh, teams of software, uh, I mean, I, I suppose there were some groups of friends that started as teams. I didn't start as a team. And I started joining teams and other projects only in about 80, oh, 85 or so. Uh, but for the first three or four games I wrote, it was all me, and that was uh, the first one, Crisis Mountain. This is uh, a Japanese release of the first game, Crisis Mountain, on the CompTIC system, which I think was basically a ripoff of the Apple um, hardware. And uh, all everything, all the bits and bytes were me. Now, in my new game, Dino Eggs Rebirth, it's a team of two. Uh, the, a lot of the art and music and design, and then there's a programmer, Eric Faroe, in Luxembourg, uh, who was a great fan of the original Dino Eggs in 1983, when he was 10 years old, and uh, he and I have teamed up in the last few years to bring out the new game. Uh, but uh, yeah, back in 83, it was just me, me and my Apple II. So, I mean, as you said, the... There is a like a remake of the Dino Eggs that's... Is it just on Humble Bundle at the minute? It's uh, available on the website, and only through the re website right now, dinoeggsrebirth.com. 
and it is available through the Humble Bundle uh, widget and also uh, uh, on a digital marketplace called Selfie or Selfie. Um, and we are on Steam Greenlight. So if people are interested in seeing it on Steam, we do have some features that we'd love to add. Uh, obviously, the Steam achievements, uh, there are achievements in the game right now, but hooking those into the Steam achievement system and the high score system and so forth. So you can vote for the game, Dino Eggs Rebirth, on Steam Greenlight. But the game is available right now through the website, dinoeggsrebirth.com. And I can see that it's got two graphic skins. One that's the original, basically. And I guess another one, which is by James Biddoth. Yeah, and he's actually there in the UK with you. Uh, he's in um, in England, uh, uh, oh, northeast of London, a few hours. Uh, I've not too far from. Uh, is it Oxford or Cambridge? It's up there, northeast of London. On the website, it says Birmingham. Oh, is that a different place? Uh, well, on here. I'm sure it sort of says that it's from Birmingham, England, UK. Birmingham's the Midlands, so like the middle of the UK. Okay, forgive my geographical ignorance yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I we met, uh, we auditioned a number of people uh, on the internet, and uh, I had a great time working with James. And the other skin of art is mine. It's not literally pixel for pixel, the original pixels, uh, but it is more in the style of of just expanding the original art. And then James added a whole new kind of kind of fat pixel retro look that uh, feels very fresh. And we have people playing the game. They, you know, a number of them prefer uh, James' art. A number of them prefer my art, which is great. Love to give people a choice. Like when I've had a, a go at the game, and the only difference I could really tell, because I've only got a small monitor for the PC, was that one had more of a like a realistic main character and one was more cartoony like more chunky yeah you know that i could yeah, tell ju- that but yeah and people have requested that we add another another skin that would be literally pixel for pixel uh the original art and i'd love to do that we thought about doing that all the way through the development process and for various reasons we didn't but that uh we have a game forum on on the website dinoeggsrebirth.com we're taking in a lot of people's ideas and like all games uh, do these days, we're hoping to grow and looking forward to growing the game and, and meeting new p- people's uh, ideas about what to add. And that's, that's certainly on the list to uh, do a pixel-for-pixel pixel skin. Uh, though, of course, the people who played the original game on the Apple think of that as one way, and people who played it on the Commodore 64 think of those pixels being another way. So I don't know if we'll be able to please everyone all the time, but we're, I, I do want to get that 8-bit look back in there if we can. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, people complain nowadays with, like, the Xbox One and the PS4 saying, oh, it's not quite the same sort of, like, 900p or 1080 or whatever. But back in, like, the 8-bit days on the home con- com- computers, it was completely different games that were being developed with the same car, like, experience, but they looked completely different. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how powerful that stuff is. Uh, people have uh, really, a number of people have said they they also not just, to them the important part of the authentic look isn't so much the pixels or the design of the art, it's the black background. 
Now, of course, the black background was of necessity in the original game because I had to, you just had it to fit the game into 48K and to make the game speed just be reasonably fast, you had to uh, use a black background for simplicity of, of changing pixels and animating on the screen. But people really remember that black background as kind of, oh, I don't know, uh, spiritual or almost kind of a, a touch of infinity that when you replace that with a contemporary textured background with rocks or whatever, they actually feel that's a step backward, that they really want the, you know, the kind of ethereal uh, absoluteness of that black background. So that's another option we're, we're building into the game, and a, a, an update of the game will probably include that as an option um, next time we have an opportunity to update everybody uh, with uh, various adjustments. So, I mean, I don't know how you would describe the game, but to me, it's in the same sort of style as the original Mario Brothers or like Donkey Kong, like single-screen platform sort of games. Yeah, it's it's a single screen at a time platform game. Um, my first two games, Crisis Mountain and, and Dino Eggs, were both in that category. You know, it's funny because at the time they were called action strategy games. Uh, now you would not call it an action game because that would be Im- implying that the screen is full of motion and the screen is not full of motion. But what I think the strength of the original game was is that uh, it had a fun concept. You're going back in, in time to save the dinosaurs from extinction. And ironically, you end up causing the dinosaurs extinction by bringing common cold uh, germs back with you into the prehistoric era. And so you dedicate yourself to rescuing as many of the dino babies and dino eggs as you can and carrying them safely back into the future. And then visually on the screen, I think the strength of the game, and, and folks can take a look at it on YouTube. Uh, there are many clips of um, uh, Dino Eggs on the web or check out my YouTube channel which is David S-E-H-P-T but you can find that through my website DinoEggsRebirth.com um, it's, uh, it's kind of like an animated game of chess in the sense that the grid on the screen makes some creatures work and objects work vertically some creatures interact horizontally and you're navigating through all this horizontal and vertical action to decide strategically how best to rescue the baby dinos and eggs given everything that's happening around you in these vertical columns and horizontal rows and it's a really rich game for being as constricted as the original game was in 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 act and animation and speed and uh memory space it really is a rich game and uh the new game tries to take that same fabric of the original 8-bit game and expand it just enough so that it's a new experience without losing the essence of the cleverness of the original game. I mean, I was just going to say that a lot of these so-called retro sort of games, a lot of them nowadays are practically unplayable, but I think they're the ones that were not on the early 8-bit sort of machines. They were the ones a little bit later where they were trying to do too much for the machines themselves. So the mm. control, the speed of the gameplay, just the scrolling of the graphics, things like that, it makes the game nowadays unplayable. But back then it was like cutting edge, so people had have a bit of slack towards that the gameplay itself just because of how good it looked. But the mm. mm-hmm. the earlier games, like the one like the Dino Eggs, because it's 
quite a simple graphic style and everything flows smoothly, it still plays really well even like in modern day sort of time. Well, I hear from many people who still play the original Dino Eggs either on an original uh, Commodore 64 or Apple or on the many, many emulators uh, that are available with the disc image. And I, I mean, I, I hear from people all the time who say, I play this game, I play at least one game of this almost every night to relax at night. I play it with my son and daughter. You know, it seems, I hear that a lot uh, over the years. It seems to be a game that really brings people together parents and children playing it uh they're both able to all everyone's able to appreciate it in their own way so it it's really stuck with people and and you know back in the 80s i had no real way to hear about how that was happening but with the growth of the internet then people have been able to get in touch with me and uh it's remarkable it's wonderful to hear people tell very touching personal stories about how the game uh help them get through difficult years or help their family bond in difficult times. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a rich game that I'm very pleased that it's been able to do that for folks. Because, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've never heard of the game before. Um, I don't know if it was because it was more of, like, I used to play the Spectrum, and then I went to the Amiga, and then I went to, like, Mega Drive and started on consoles and didn't actually touch a PC at all. Up until when? When did Unreal Tournament come out? Ninety-eight. So it was about ninety-eight sort of time when I actually got a PC that would play games. But up until like the late eighties and the mid to late nineties, I never touched a PC. So, but I mean, for me, I am like a retro game fan. I love a lot of the old sort of games, and to me, this Dino Eggs because it actually it's. Very similar, as I say, to like the Mario Bros and those sort of games. But because it's like a new spin on it that I'd not played before, it's actually a really fun game to actually get stuck into now. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, uh, I would re- recommend you and, and your uh, listeners and viewers check out a series of posts I've, I've put on the industry, game industry site Gamma Sutra because I kind of go into more detail there with visuals, um, how I wrote the early games, including Dino Eggs, and just kind of what the whole feel of the 8-bit world was back then. Um, I've got, um, you know, it really was kind of a hand-tooled kind of era, and I've got these big sheets here uh, where I was trying to figure out with my first games how to put things on the screen. You understand there weren't any tools back then you know, there weren't digital tools uh, that would keep track of things on the screen and the numbers on the screen, the pixels on the screen. It was all just dots, and every memory space was a different dot. And so I had to take the pencil and paper to figure out how do I organize this screen? Where do the entrances and exits go and the tunnels and the paths? And how do I get these little this little man to follow these lines on the screen if I want a path to go up or down or at an angle? And it, it was a lot of handwork. It really was hand-tooled, pixel-by-pixel stuff. And uh, I like I say, on Gama Sutra, I go into more detail and show some art of some of these... Uh, tools and papers and sketches that I used to write the original games. I mean, I will say that is absolutely fascinating. I mean, 
I'm one of these people that I'm really sad. I'll actually go on to some random websites and I'll download like, the old games magazines from like the 1980s just so I can like read through and look at all the, the stories from like the late 80s and things like that. I mean, so to see things like that, that's really fascinating. And me, yeah, it, I've I've enjoyed sharing them. I've enjoyed sharing them, and I I. Uh... Just got an email the other day from a someone who's doing a documentary video series on the early platform games, and he's asking me for some information about my games, which is lovely. It's just it's wonderful to uh, to hear. I was at an Apple II reunion uh, gathering this past summer that was organized and hosted by John Romero. I don't know if you know his yep. name from the early days, but he's yeah he's been one of the uh, towers of of early gaming. And uh, he was kind enough to invite me uh, and Steve Wozniak and some other folks of that era. And what really struck me is I was not the oldest person there. I was one of the older people there because, as you, as I said in, in answer to your first question, I first you know got into this area five years after I graduated from Yale. So I was a little on the older side. Many of the people who were rushing into doing games and things for the Apple were in college or in high school or even in junior high school. And I was five years out of college. So I think that that actually lent my games. I was young enough to adapt to the technology and teach myself assembly language and figure things out. But I was also a little older, so my games were maybe a little deeper, uh, you know, a little more complete in in uh, as best they could, cramming things into 48k of space. And 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 looking back on it now, I think that was actually my slightly advanced age at the time did make what I did uh, different. Um, yes, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we know John Romero. We met him at a, there was a retro event a, a year ago in Wolverhampton. Oh, cool! And he had a like a Doom tournament where it's like a lot of machines are linked up and and that and that was quite fun he's he's back over across the atlantic now he's uh he's living and working in uh in ireland now not bad <laughs> but i mean like i really i know um john romero because we were designing writing and going to produce uh, like an animated cartoon series mm. and the basic idea was someone gets sucked into a video game world and he asked, do you remember Quantum Leap? Yes. Imagine that, but every episode it's like it goes into a different game world. Right. And right. we had ID, um, they said yes, we could use Doom or any of their other sort of, well, no, it was Bethesda because they own it all now. Um, Bethesda said we could use any of their games, game characters, locations, names, anything we wanted. And so I emailed John, and he basically said that, yes, he would voice a character in the series. Ah, what fun. So, but yeah, so I mean, that, I was really hyped getting into that. And then it turned out that if he wanted to have an American animator do like 60 minutes of animation, he wanted about 60 grand. Mm. And I was like, I can't afford that. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I guess that maybe gets down to these uh, t democratization of tools. I, I, I think you can 
do a lot of desktop animation uh, oneself if one has a knack for it. But uh, yeah, I, I, that sounds like an interesting concept, though. That's a cool concept. I like that. But say, I went onto these other sort of websites, like People Per Hour, and there was a couple of people from. I think they were Indian, and they sent over some really good, like Saturday morning quality cartoon clips. And they said that they could do 60, 60 minutes for about eight grand. So it's getting cheaper, but still on the high end Amazing. for us. But Amazing. Amazing. You'll, you'll become a cartoon, a cartoon producer yet. But yeah, so that's one of the things. The other thing we've got in the works that's almost finished is we're doing a documentary, like a feature-length documentary about podcasting. Mm. So I've got loads of people from that do loads of podcasts to record themselves answering questions and then we're going to like edit it all together put it all together and hopefully get that out within the next 3 or 4 months cool so cool busy times cool. busy times yeah 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 everyone's everyone's got a lot of stuff going on it seems but those are exciting projects good luck good luck with those but i mean when I was like reading through on the Dino Eggs Rebirth website, it looks mm-hmm. as though you've done a lot of things other than games, like art and... Yeah, I, I've written theatrical musicals. Uh, I uh, have not been in the computer game area consistently through the 32 years since uh, the original games. Uh, I did work at Microsoft. Uh, my strength seems to be user interface, so I helped design and refine user interface for a number of the Microsoft products in the uh, early 1990s and have worked for other software companies. I'm currently working for a part-time for a, a green energy startup company that's helping electrical utilities um, integrate more renewable energy like solar and wind into their systems, into the grid. And uh, But of course, I'm also doing this DinoEggs project and uh, I've like I say, dallied in theater uh, over the years and had a musical that uh, did some uh, uh, development work at the Walt Disney Studios, was invited to do some development work on a, the musical at the Walt Disney Studios about 10 years ago. And that the show has not gone to Broadway, but it was a fascinating experience to, uh, to work with a number of theatrical professionals through that. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I've done a, a bunch of different things. Uh, Performed locally, theater as well, and uh, music director of some shows. So, with the Dino Eggs Rebirth, would you say the next sort of steps you're looking for is to do a couple of tweaks and updates and to get it actually out on Steam? I'd love to get on Steam. So, uh, if people can give a thumbs up on Steam Greenlight to Dino Eggs Rebirth, that would be great. Really would appreciate that. But we're going to grow the game as best we can, whether we're on Steam or not. We're going to respond to f- things that people post in the game forum on the website, uh, dinoeggsrebirth.com. We've already started to, re- to respond to those, and people have a lot of interesting ideas. And also, they're sharing tips and brags about how far they've gotten in the game. Uh, there is one person who's gotten all 264 stars already. So there are people out there who are just uh, going nuts for it and enjoying it very, very much, and we're getting a lot of good feedback from that. But we're going to tweak and grow the game as best we can with the support that we get. And uh, that might even be revisiting the old original 8-bit code at some point because there's a possibility we could 
uh, kind of packaged together with Dino Eggs Rebirth, an emulator, a licensed emulator, where we would have the original 6502 code running in the original Apple screen. I, and I've, I've often kind of thought in my mind it would be lovely to go back to that code because I have it. I have it here printed all out. Uh, I have the uh, 8-bit code printed out on authentic 1980s uh, dot matrix uh, perforated side hole punch push. What, what do you call the kind of paper that had the holes on the side so that the printer could kind of pull the paper through? Pin feed, pin feed paper, and this is the old eight-bit code here from Dino Eggs in, in in a big pile. And I would love to go back and revisit that code and kind of optimize it. Just kind of apply, keep within the 48k. Don't don't break the rules, but keep the same pixels on the screen and such. But you know, just optimize it. Put in a few, squeeze in a few special features. Uh, little variations of things uh, to make the game a little more flexible, maybe a little more user feedback or features about uh, God mode or skipping this or power-ups or something like that. But keep it within the limitations of the old old 8-bit. And I don't know, I'd love to do that just for fun and and, and add that uh, value to the Dino Eggs Rebirth as well. But we'll see. We'll just need to respond to the number of games we can sell and the feedback we get as we go along. So I hope people will give it a give it a shot, whether they remember the old game Dino Eggs or not. We're having a lot of fun uh, with the old fans and the new. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, like what you said there about optimizing and making it still fit within the original constraints of the development of that game. Because I know that in the last couple of years we've had a a big insurge of like what people call like. Um, like the really retro style graphic games, like they're all two D sort of like bitmap sort of graphics, and a lot of people in when you read reviews or read the stories about it, they're like, oh, if you were to put this onto a NES cartridge, it'd play on a NES, and then you actually play the game, say like, that would never play on a NES. <sighs> you know, the NES doesn't do transparency effects in like light yeah. shines and yeah. But, I mean, yeah, people... people don't understand <laughs> all the technological levels of this. Yeah, they, they particularly the the original eight bit machines were extremely uh, primitive, though extraordinarily advanced for their time. But yeah, every dot on the screen on the old Apple II knew nothing about any other dot on the screen. The dot was just either a dot or it was black. It, there was no kind of overarching concept of a sprite or a character or a foreground and a background. Dot on, dot off. That's all it was. And every in, every layer of intelligence that you needed to add to that to make it work, you had to put in the code from scratch. So, yeah, there's a lot of constrictions like that that people don't understand or or take for granted. When things work beautifully, you just take it for granted that that's the way it should work. But there's a lot of development of technology over the decades that have led to that ability. So, I mean, just before we wrap this up, would you say that it was easier to get into game development 30 years ago than what it is now? (laughs) <laughs> good question um good question wow easier um that is an interesting question uh 
I, it, you know, I would say in some ways it was easier uh, 32 years ago just because I was younger and I wanted to be creative and make a living in some creative way. So in that sense, it was easier in that it was all kind of just one thing I had to do. Um, and I did what I needed to do to teach myself what I needed to learn. And with a little luck, I was able to to make my living at uh, computer games for about nine years. I can't say it was easy overall, but maybe it was easier than today where, you know, frankly, there's 82 billion games out there. 81 billion of them are free. And as we were discussing earlier, uh, this, this curation problem where when the tools are so flattened and democratized across the society, how do you distinguish between you know, one game and another. So it's tough. It's it's difficult. I mean, when I reach someone who, who remembers the original game, you know, they love to see the new game and they're all for it immediately. But uh, just given all the different hardware people used years ago, that isn't necessarily, it was not a household word, Dino Egg. So yeah, it, it's pretty uphill these days. And uh, even though the tools are are available and most everything is free and it's amazing what you can do with so little investment uh still it's an uphill battle uh to make the game uh available and and known so that's why i appreciate the time of folks like you to help uh spread the word and and uh yeah so in a way it was easier 32 years ago and in other ways it's easier now because i wouldn't be doing this now at all if i hadn't done what i did 32 years ago i mean i, I will say in the last five years, there's been some development sort of like programs you can buy. Because I think I've used, oh god, what's it called? Construct 2, which is like a 2D game engine maker. And you literally just get a sprite that you want, put it on the screen. And you can, within 10 minutes, get that sprite walking left and right and doing a jump animation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've got no programming skills whatsoever. I can barely spell my own name, let alone anything else. And within about a day of fiddling around, I managed to get a little cat animated running around the level, jumping on things ob- and obstacles. And then there was enemies on screen, so if you hit the enemy, you reset to the beginning. Or if you got to the end where there's like a little ball of wool, it like reset back to the beginning again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. if I could do that, then if anyone with a small bit of talent, then I'm sure nowadays with these, like, game engine builders, then a lot of the hard work's taken out. It's just your imagination and the dedication needed to actually stick to it. Yeah. So that's what yeah, I Yeah, that's, like. that's part of it, is the dedication. And, and uh, yeah, going past what the tool makes it easy to do and push it to what it can do uh yeah that's that's where the real uh, test comes in i've had um, so many people over the years say can i write dino eggs rewrite it in a new environment maybe somewhat like the one you're talking about or other you know packages of game development or or whatever and they teach themselves programming by writing or rewriting dino eggs which is lovely um but yeah, following through and saying, how do I really make this what I want it to be? Then you're almost inevitably finding that whatever tool you use, there are handcuffs. 
there are always handcuffs. And you just need to say, how does my vision take me through those handcuffs? How can I transcend those handcuffs? Because uh, every system is limited in, in some ways. And, uh, yeah, so that's where the test comes in. And you're right. It's a matter of uh, patience and perseverance. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time very much, David. And, and good luck uh, leading the government of the UK. <laughs> I, I know that's a big burden for you. And, and you have, it's amazing that you have time to do this podcast in addition to all your other duties. But uh, I'm sorry. I just had to rib you about that briefly. Forgive me. I wish I was on his like, £600,000 a year. <laughs> That'd be quite fun. Because yep. I've always thought the Prime Minister or the like the American President, they have the final say, but a lot of the stuff's done by their secretaries and their heads of states. And so basically they get blamed for the final decision, but they don't really do a lot. They just make the decision. I might be wrong, but, you know, I just think that'd be quite a cushy job. <laughs> well, I, I don't know of anyone who's ever been either prime minister or president yeah. would describe it as cushy. But we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that to those who can speak, uh, speak with experience, I guess. So if you'd just like to mention like where people can email you, tweet you, get in contact with you sure. and your yeah, well, the Dino main, Eggs yeah, website. You betcha. The main thing is dinoeggsrebirth.com. Uh, that's where the game is for sale and all kinds of videos there and uh, feature lists for the game and the game forum that I mentioned where people are piling in with uh, how they're progressing in the game. We are, so all, are on Steam Greenlight, Dino Eggs Rebirth on Steam Greenlight. Please vote for the game if you can. Uh, you can contact me through that website, dinoeggsrebirth.com. Uh, and there's links there to the YouTube channel um, and my Twitter handle, and 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 uh, contact form so it all pretty much flows from dinoeggsrebirth.com and i look forward to hearing from anyone who wants to ask about anything or share their memories uh you can go on the game forum there's a memories kind of topic in the forum for people to share their memories of the original game and there's multiplayer in the new game so uh, that's a really fun new feature particularly for families who did play the old game together uh, there's now a way to really play it together with multiplayer, which uh, adds a, a really great a whole new level to the thing. Uh, Thanks for your the, time. That'll be the next thing I try, the multiplayer. <laughs> there you go. So, again, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, guys. Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say... I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. OUG Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better.